0: Hey, everyone. If you like the Roast West Coast Coffee podcast, you might also appreciate the I Like Beer the podcast. Listening to these guys is like being a fly on the wall of the pub with a few of your favorite mates having a pint. These professional beer appreciators have plenty of stories to share on everything from the mating habits of penguins to their behind-the-scenes brewery experiences. Check out the I Like Beer the podcast wherever you are listening to this show about coffee, or head to ilikebeerthepodcast.com. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 11 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm Ryan Wolt, and on every other episode of this show, we try to get a little bit coffee smarter. Siri Simran Khalsa, the Executive Director of Coffee at Lofty Coffee Company, returns today to follow up on last week's Developing Flavor Talk to talk about how she tastes coffee, in particular when going through the sampling and roast profiling stages. We also talk about how tasting involves our other senses and how sometimes it can get a little bit silly. There is some overlap with previous episodes where we've covered coffee cupping, but we definitely delve into some new ground. Today, again, I'm drinking a Lofty Coffee Morning Dove blend. It was the batch brew they were offering at Lofty Coffee Roasting Works when I popped in last week. I made this one as a V60 pour over using a paper filter and a ratio of 15 grams of water to 1 gram of coffee grind. I usually brew about 22-25 to grams of coffee every morning, and I end up with almost the exact amount of coffee to fill my favorite coffee mug. With tasting notes of caramel, sweet lemon, and cocoa, this is an easy drinking coffee. And mine is good. It's not as good as the one I had at the shop, but I'm still enjoying the hell out of it anyway. I'm not sure if we've ever specifically noted it, but batch brews are filtered coffees made in larger quantities, or batches, that most coffee shops will offer you if you walk in and say, I'd like a coffee, please. Batch brews are commonly made with some sort of coffee machine, but the term, while not entirely accurate, is sometimes used to indicate any coffee made in quantity so long as it is ready for you when you walk in the door, even if that coffee was made as an oversized pour-over. Drip coffees, in which hot water is dripped over ground coffee either in a machine or as a pour-over, is another term used for the house batch brew. Whatever you're drinking today, I hope you have enough of it to last you about 30 minutes, because it is time for us to get coffee smarter on the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast with Siri simran Kalsa, the Executive Director of Coffee at Lofty Coffee Company. Welcome back to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, series. My brain still hurts from our last conversation, so hopefully we can cover something that maybe makes more sense to me today, and I'm glad you're back.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I saw you have a dog over there. Uh, What's your dog's name?
1: My dog's name is Pablo. He is a sweet lab mutt brindle baby. I also, I'm actually very happy. I recently rescued a cat and before, right as I set up my computer and like everything, she was being not friendly and she was like trying to, (laughs) she always like, she hates my computer. She was like trying to close it and she's like running around. And I was like, you better not be disturbing our (laughs) podcast recording. Uh, But she, I think she got the message because I have no idea where she is.
0: now. (laughs) Uh, We're actually fostering a a lab mutt right now named Mick, who's part of a military program called PACT, uh, where you foster dogs for people who are on deployment or pets.
1: Oh, cool. And then
0: you know that there's an end date. They're coming back. They're taking this this uh, pet back. But um, this is our first time doing it. And so far, it's been a lot of fun. But it was definitely, it was a lot of learning, too, because we've never had a 70-pound dog in our apartment before. Yeah. And that's definitely different from the Terrier that we used to have Uh, who was like 19 pounds. And he also likes to join the podcast. So today my wife is home. uh, We're chatting on the weekend. And so she's she's taking him for a walk or something right now. But on other shows, like he wants to be where I am so badly that he will keep bumping his head into the door to this (sighs) little room until I finally let him stick his nose in. Just
1: let him in. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Pablo's lying next to me right now. He's like, I guess I'll hang out. <laughs>
0: That's good. It's nice to have a dog around. It was, it's been two years since we did, and, but it, I forgot how much work it is, too.
1: Yeah, it's so worth it, though. He's my best friend. Yeah, he's five now, and he's just the best. He makes it pretty easy, but I, I think I le- I've lucked out with that.
0: <laughs> then my question would be, is there ever a chance that Pablo will get a coffee named after him at Lofty Coffee?
1: Oh, that'd be sweet you know what though and i i hope he doesn't mind me saying it it would probably be buddha who's the uh, the founder of lofty um his dog he re- they recently had to put him down
0: oh, I'm sorry so that. i
1: think there would be there would be a buddha coffee before a pablo coffee which is totally fine he was the sweetest sweetest boy
0: There was a time where we allowed uh, dogs in in restaurants and bars kind of regularly and having like the shop dog was always like a cool thing. Uh, I don't think that's allowed anymore for health code stuff. It's
1: not. I know. And it's funny because Eric will always be like, yeah, bring Pablo to work. I'm like, he's going to have to sit on the cold patio in the cement like he'd much rather be sleeping in my bed like he does not want to come to work with me (laughs) as badly as i'd love him to come to work it's one thing if he could be in the roastery but like just having to be outside that's no fun
0: it is it's fun for me to be outside but yeah i get what you're saying uh last week we talked a lot about what you've learned about coffee from roasting and how you develop flavor specifically in the process And one of the things that I took away from that was how much tasting you're doing along the way. You're pulling beans out regularly at different times. You're tasting them all and comparing them to each other to find like the ideal, the ideal roast profile that you want to make. I'm hoping you can take us through the next step of that, which is how you taste coffee. I've been told slurping is important. I'm hoping you can explain why that is. My natural instinct when I taste anything that I'm trying to taste is to close my eyes. I don't know if that actually helps or not, but... For some reason, it feels like I'm shutting off a sense. So my question this week for you is, since I try to make them super complicated and overly long, is if you could just walk us through how you taste coffee when you're doing it, both during that roasting profiling process and then also afterwards to make sure that you've gotten what you want.
1: Yeah, I love this question again, because I I think like as a roaster, I actually spend more time tasting coffee than roasting coffee which, um, is good. Cause like, you know, you're trying to, you know, create, uh, a, a beverage that people are going to drink. And so you better be tasting it to make sure it tastes the way you want it to. Uh, so to walk you through cupping, are you familiar with cupping? Like how, like why you set it up the way that you do or how it's set up?
0: Yes, uh, we've talked. We did have an episode on the show about cupping, which I'll send people to. But maybe we can just do a real quick recap. How about I just say, and you can tell sure. me if I'm wrong, is essentially you're yeah. you're grinding up a bunch of different samples pulled from the roaster, you know, or sample coffees you're thinking about purchasing, and you're putting them in these little like soup bowls, uh, the grounds and covering them with hot water so there's a bloom and then using a spoon to push like the grinds that float to the top out of the way and tasting some of that coffee to see how they compare to each other is that roughly
1: yeah i think you've hit it like the nail on the head with that one where that's exactly what you're doing i think some a question i get sometimes is why we do it this way and um it's it's allows us to taste a lot of different samples or a lot of different coffees all at once uh without you know i mean what if you had 15 samples to do and you're making 15 little pour overs it it also minimizes like any sort of brewing variance um, or any bias that might come in with other brew methods so it just it's the same amount of coffee the same grind size the same amount of water so it just is getting you're really just tasting the coffee so what I'll do is exactly that we'll set up a cupping and when, when I'm sampling a new sample, I'll use what is known as like this SCA cupping sheet. And then I will use a similar system when I'm doing my normal just production cuppings. I I usually don't use this SCA sheet for every single production cupping. It's kind of excessive. But um, for a new coffee, and how uh, this is how I'll do it. And how it's set up is you're evaluating all the sensory qualities of the coffee. So the first bean, as you mentioned, it kind of has this bloom and there's what we call the crust. And the first, and actually I'm gonna step back. When I'm evaluating a coffee, I'm gonna first evaluate the dry fragrance of the coffee beans. So I'll maybe take a sniff or a smell of the dry ground beans and take note of how that is. And then we'll pour the water We'll let it sit for a few minutes and then we will break the crust again using that spoon where we will gently push those grinds back and then smell that wet aroma of the coffee. And it's kind of cool to see sometimes that dry aroma translates to the wet, but sometimes you know, you might get like chocolatey, darker qualities, but then when you add the water, sometimes maybe like the brighter qualities will come out and sometimes not, or sometimes the there'll be more intensity to the, the wet aroma.
0: I was going to say those two senses are so connected, the smelling and the tasting. And when you taste something that doesn't taste the way it smells, which is like when you break that sentence down, doesn't make actually sense, but it really will throw your brain. You'll be like, oh, that's something's wrong. Even when it's really not. it's just those two things, maybe the things that you smell first don't line up. And I'm sure there's all kinds of reasons for that, but everyone is different. I, I wanted to say, based on what you were saying just a minute ago, how much tasting you do as opposed to roasting sometimes it feels like it almost, and this is a, we're going to, I'm going on a real big tangent here, everyone. So I apologize. We'll get back to the topic at hand, but if you were to hire someone to replace you, for example, is it more important that they can do the, the, they have the roasting experience or that they can naturally understand how the tasting process works? Like it almost feels like based on that, that thing you said, and maybe we just let this sit out there to think about, but it almost feels like if you are naturally a good taster or you have been able to train your palate, that might be more important, maybe not more, but as important as actually being able to run through the software and the roasting programs and understand that process, the, the mechanical side of it.
1: If I'm being honest, I feel like operating a roaster might actually be easier than tasty yeah you know they're both learnable skills but i think you know in if you're if uh, to just touch on this question and then we can get back to it is at least in my incident like we have a uh, brandon who's our junior production roaster and if someone was like literally replacing my job yeah where he's you know building the skill to be a great roaster operator uh where yeah maybe then that that other person is like more qualified in tasting coffee. So I definitely take those hand in hand and I think they're both learnable skills, but they both have to be, maybe there's a balance there that is needed. You
0: can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look into that a little bit more. We'll come, we'll touch on that again some someday in the future.
1: Yeah, we can take note and have, again, I think that's a, I think it's a great topic because like, it's kind of like if you're tasting the next skills then also be able to identify what is going on in the roast that is making this coffee taste this way,
0: mm-hmm. you know, it's almost the art versus the science or the art versus the technical skill of it, you know, and taste yeah. is, it's like color. Like we can all agree that this thing is blue, but whether or not we're seeing the same blue depends on, yeah, you know, the person and it's a whole, uh, we're going to break some brains if we go too far down that. Rabbit hole. Well,
1: well, also, it's funny you say that because we're we're getting to talk about taste. And sometimes when I taste a coffee, I'll just like a color will just come to mind. It's not like a flavor, but like I'll be like, this tastes yellow. (laughs) (laughs) um, and, And I don't know if that's just how my brain works. And obviously that does not translate for everyone. But that's a very common thing. If you're looking at my notes that you'll just see colors written places because um, sometimes that's just how it is,
0: <laughs> yeah, but that makes sense to me because i'll I'll think that about about flavors of things because we do eat a lot of things that maybe don't directly they're not real foods. like I'm thinking about like a popsicle or something. like this tastes like red. yeah, uh,
1: yeah, <laughs>
0: but I know what that means, and I think other people know what it means because we're associating colors with foods that we have eaten, and for mm-hmm. you doing tastings, you're you're pulling tasting notes from other things that we've experienced so when we say this tastes like if you said this tastes like blue i would probably naturally think of blueberries which is a common tasting note right so that makes sense to me so i think where we need to get back to is you're going to walk us through how you taste coffee once we've set up our cupping or we've set up our grinds to taste
1: Yeah. So at this point, we've already evaluated the aroma and the fragrance of the coffee. And so now we're going to taste the coffee. Typically, I'll let it cool down a little bit because, uh, first of all, you don't want to burn your tongue. But also, I I think a lot of the, the more nuanced flavors of the coffee come out as it cools. Also, sometimes when it's hot, it might just taste good. But then as it cools, maybe off tastes will come out. So making sure the coffee, you're tasting it as it cools and that the coffee still has great qualities as it cools. But the first thing that I know, and this was in your questions, is as we're tasting, we slurp. And we do this to spread the coffee across our entire palate and to also allow some air in there so that we're really tasting the coffee um, kind of across our palate so we're getting all the qualities of our coffee tasting all the different areas of our taste buds verse. Um, and I was like, if I'm cupping with someone new, I was like, imagine a cup of coffee and you just sip it and it kind of rolls across your palate. Maybe you get some acidity in the front and maybe there's like this lingering quality on the sides of your tongue where when you slurp it, it's all going across your tongue all at once. So you're really being able to like identify those qualities more quickly.
0: This was one of the hardest things for me to do when I first did like my first cuppings because I feel like in my brain I was I've been trained so, for so long it's impolite to slurp. And so I I just like it was so hard for me. I had to really focus on this idea that I was going to and slurp uh that was probably sorry for anyone listening if that sounded gross. <laughs> I was trying to slurp without having anything to slurp for the second. But yeah, it was it there there's like this mental thing of it took me several tries to get to a point where I didn't think about the slurp as much as I thought about the flavors coming into my mouth. So I only say that. <laughs> yeah. So anyone starting this process for the first time or going to their first cupping, it's a it's like anything that we've talked about, it, there's practice involved.
1: Yeah. And there's, when I'm cupping with new new people, there's always a lot of giggles going around of like people slurping and they're just laughing about it because <laughs> it's very silly. It's honestly very silly, but it's, it yeah, definitely like some like of the most like skilled cuppers, like they can like, as they slurp, you hear these like crazy whistles and whatnot, but simply it's to just spread that coffee and flavor across your whole palate as well, air, allow air in so that you're really tasting all the nuances of the coffee. But then to get more into the tasting part, usually I'll take a my first round will just be like an overall impression of the coffee, kind of take note of like, what are the first things that come up? And then maybe I'll do a few, a few more rounds and I'll get more down into the specifics. As I said, I'm using the, the cupping sheet that's provided by SCA and there's different categories of the first when it comes to tasting, is going to be flavor and aftertaste. So that that first time, I'll really like pinpoint what are the flavors that I'm getting and how is the overall aftertaste of this coffee. And then from there, uh, the next kind of part of the sheet is going to be acidity. And so from there, you want to evaluate the quality of the acidity, the intensity. Are there any, I also use acidity to help identify flavors where it's like okay I'm having this acidic this like more acidic flavor maybe it tastes like lemon and that'll help me identify flavors as well and then the next part on that sheet is going to be body so similar it's not a specific flavor but it's going to be how is the quality and um, intensity of the body and then uh, the last in the specifics here is going to be Uh, sweetness. That's another great quality to also help identify flavor. So maybe you're tasting a sip of a coffee and you have some sweetness, maybe that I can identify that sweetness as caramel or brown sugar. And that'll help me, you know, identify what that flavor is. And then this is not on the cupping sheet, but this is something also when like brewing coffee I try to identify is in most coffees, if they're roasted well, you're gonna have some sweetness. You're gonna have some acidity. You're gonna have some maybe some bitter, positively bitter qualities, or or maybe negative. But um, I try to sort of identify those three things. So maybe I'm pulling an espresso, and the sweetness is caramel, and the acidity is uh, cherry, and the bitterness is like a dark chocolate. And so to me, that's like using those qualities to help identify what flavors are and and helping us break down in like these little sections like how to identify certain flavors in a coffee using these categories
0: do you have like a a new coffee at lofty that maybe you can kind of recall and say like this was these were some of the initial notes and then did those notes like follow up later on as you were going through the process like I'm I'm trying to think about mm-hmm. like preconceived notions of like if I smell these things, do I naturally start looking for those things as I go through the process? Is that an issue that you train yourself on?
1: So, I definitely have found that it's something that I I look for is like sometimes I'll smell things in a coffee and then I'm more curious, does that is that smell going to refer or transfer to flavor? And sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't we have like this great tool that's like it it identifies specific aromas and smells in coffee, both in like the caramelization in like distilled. I'm butchering the name. So I don't want to try to in my mind, um, tell you exactly what it is, but the aromas chart is a little different than the like flavor wheel, for example. And so I do try to kind of be critical on, on how I'm evaluating, the aroma and vice versa to like the flavor if that makes sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know that I I feel really kind of dumb right now, but I don't know that I thought I knew I don't even know if I knew there was like a ar- coffee aromas chart. Like we talk about flavor wheel a lot.
1: I'm going to find it right now because so so here it is. Um it's the L'Anaise du Cafe and this is like a really awesome training tool that I've been so fortunate to be able to use. And essentially what it is, Lanez du cafe, they actually originally made this aroma training kit for wine. And then they, they made one for coffee. I'm actually going to send you the link right now. And this kit, it has like, like distilled, like concentrated alcohol, like examples of what these aromas are. And so this kit is used for training, but they also have a really beautiful chart that has all the aromas. And it's like really beautifully made where it has like color, it uses color and all these other things into like showing what these aromas are.
0: I really do love this about coffee that there are so many overlaps between the science and our inability to explain science in words. And so we use senses. Um, to some extent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, recently I was sent some coffee beans unsolicited that just said blind tasting on them and was kind of challenged to do that. And that's not something I do a lot. I'm not a roaster. I'm not working in a roastery, but I did. And I, the first go around, I really couldn't focus on any of the flavors. It was just kind of all coffee flavor. And mm-hmm. the second time I made a point to really sit down and I turned off the podcast. Uh, I wasn't listening to my own podcast, just so let's make that clear it was someone else's. Uh, but and I actually turned on some music and just kind of had it on the background and like sat with my and I, I mentioned this earlier, I sat with my eyes closed and just kind of focused on what I was doing. And I was able to pull out some flavors. And then thankfully, like when I sent them to the roaster, he confirmed that that's what was in there. And I was very proud of myself. And even though I'm not in practice, it wasn't, it was something I was able to do based on what little experience I have and also really just paying attention and using all those senses and trying to, to focus. And so I think there is like a very low, I don't want to say barrier entry, but I think anyone who wants to take a few minutes with their cup of coffee in the morning can get something out of it because of these tools that we have. And totally, you know, taking it to that next level is where we really start. Like where where a roaster like you starts getting into the science and the history and the repetition and the comparison. But for someone who's just listening to the show that really likes coffee in the morning, you can really enhance that experience by finding a few tools like a flavor wheel or this aroma uh, wheel, which I'll I'll find and try to link to.
1: Yeah, I'll send you this image, and I can also even talk to talk to them a little bit because I, I use it every day. I just was like brain farting on the name. But <laughs> um, there's kind of different categories. And so one of them being the sugar browning, and these are all aromas that come out in the roasting process. So the sugar browning, these aromas could be like dark chocolate, toast, nutty, butter, caramel. Um, and we have... Aromatic taints. So these could be like negative or un- like um, not negative, but just like taint qualities uh, that could be happening in the roast. Like you get like rubber aroma or smoke or uh, what do we have here? We said straw. That's like a common one. If it's like underdeveloped, you'll maybe taste, smell like hay or something like that, leather. And then in the dry distillation um, aroma, you'll find things like cocoa like, uh, cedar. Malt, that's a common, malt is a common, um, aroma I find in some coffees, uh, bl- like currant, which is like a, a type of berry, um, uh, maple syrup, pepper. And then we have our enzyma- enzymatic aromas like honey, apricot, green peas, apple, lemon. And so, uh, it's again, this tool is really cool. Um, I'm, Also, just outside of coffee, I'd love like smells. Um, (laughs) So it's just a cool thing to to get into. And these are all things that are coming out through the roasting process, you know, because green, these green beans don't have these aromas. But as we roast it, uh, we're uncovering those aromatic qualities.
0: I think what I'm taking from the show today is that when we are tasting, we're not just it's not just one sense that we're using. We're using all of these different senses.
1: Yeah, and so something you had said earlier on that y- you I think you you mentioned feeling a little silly for, but I actually think is real is closing your eyes. I actually was I partook in this interesting coffee conference. I think it was like early in the pandemic, so it was all virtual. But I'm forgetting this person's name, but they did this like it was like a 15 minute little part in the like presentation where. It was like they walked us through how to taste a raisin or like a blueberry or something. Where it was like sit there, hold the raisin, feel the raisin in your hand, like and like smell it, touch it, like and like cl- like close your eyes, put it in your mouth, but don't bite on it. Like feel it in your mouth. It was like very. It was almost like this meditation of being extremely present. And I find with cupping that's something that to be honest, is extremely challenging in my work environment. Cause like uh, we don't have like a dedicated, like enclosed cupping lab, which I wish we did. So there's a lot going around me. And oftentimes I'll have my like noise canceling headphones and I'll put on like, like white noise or like frequencies or something to kind of like block out the sound. And it's really like this practice and being in, in like incredibly present with what you are doing and what you're smelling and what you're tasting. And I think that's something outside of coffee. I love food and beverage. And I think like eating and drinking is like this moment where you're like focused on like a sensory experience ultimately. And I think those senses go outside of just smell and taste and can be like, again, like full body (laughs) A full-body experience.
0: (laughs) I tried to lead you there earlier to plug something from Lofty, but you didn't take the bait because you're always avoiding that. So tell me, I know you guys are always doing new stuff. You're going through this process at Lofty. Are there any new coffees that you guys are excited about or that are in the works or that people can kind of look to that's something new for them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So actually, we are... I'm very excited. I I don't know if we talked much about this, but I'm sure you're aware of it that the supply chain has been very interesting over the last couple of years. And so there's some things that have been like we've been waiting for and just like getting the right packaging and then getting the coffee to arrive and getting everything to line up has been challenging. But we're looking into March. We're having a full lineup of new coffees. And a goal of ours has been to offer more for the most part, you know, we'll have a Guatemala, we'll have an Ethiopia, maybe we'll have one other, but this is gonna be our most extensive single origin offering I think we've ever had. And I am so excited. We have this delicious classic Guatemalan geisha that was supposed to be a holiday release that <laughs> again because of <laughs> that because of
0: um it'll be some uh, supply chain. St. Patrick's Day.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well I said I was like People are gonna want a geisha, whether it's the holidays or not. So, it's like classic tea, like jasmine, star anise, bergamot, delicious Guatemalan uh, geisha.
0: What is um what is bergamot? I don't know that name or that flavor.
1: Bergamot is a citrus. It if, are you familiar with Earl Grey mm-hmm. tea? So the flavor of Earl Grey is bergamot, like uh, that that like. Sweet kind of citrusy floral quality of Earl Grey is is bergamot.
0: Just as a reference, I didn't drink Earl Grey tea for a long time, and I I, I do drink quite a bit of tea, but I think I avoided it because I assumed it would be bland because of the name Grey, and that is what we're talking about. We're yeah. talking about tasting colors. Oh,
1: it's so but good. it's not.
0: It's so fantastic, and now we always have it in the it's house. So tasty. But there 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 you go. Our, my my association with the color and the flavor and everything kind of came together there.
1: Yeah, yeah. sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no worries.
0: The Saint Patrick's Day Geisha.
1: The Saint Patrick's Day geisha. Uh and then we have this is actually our very first direct relationship coffee that we have every single year. It's it's called the Genesis Slot from a producer in Frijanes, Guatemala. They're it's the it's a family run farm by the Prentice family and it's called Finca de Dios, and this again back in like 2014 was the very first like we are buying specifically from this farmer we know exactly how much money is going to this farmer for each pound and we've been getting it ever since then so it's a classic washed Guatemalan with really nice like stone fruit nectarine qualities like a really nice balanced acidity caramel chocolate maybe a little bit of citrus in there, but it's like an all around favorite of lofty goers as it's, we have it year in and out. So that's going to be there. And then this last year we've always had a natural Ethiopian on our menu. Anytime we've ever tried to like do a different single origin espresso, it's like never as successful. So all year we have a natural Ethiopian as a pour over and as a, single origin espresso and we're bringing back a fan favorite called it's a Ethiopian coffee from the town of Chantuini, which is um there's a a particular washing station there that just it is incredible it's just it's what you want in a natural Ethiopian it's a berry bomb but it's got like a really nice body and this like nice dark chocolate quality very fragrant and aromatic. so it's it's like when you whenever anyone orders one, it's like the whole cafe just like fills up with like amazing aromas. <laughs> and but something this year I've been wanting to do is, even though it won't be on single origin, is to also have a washed Ethiopian. and uh, we have from a, the same region of Sadamo this just really amazingly clean washed Ethiopian. To me, it's got this like nice floral citrus with a little bit of blackberry um, and a nice like light body. And then, as I said, it's an extensive new single origin venue. We have a few <laughs> more coffees. Well, and these two I'm really excited about because one of them we've never done a single origin from this, uh, from this region. Um, and then also these two coffees. So one of them is from Peru, and then the other is from Papua New Guinea. And for both of these coffees, Brandon, who's been uh, the junior production roaster at Lofty for about six months now, maybe a little more than six months, uh, I really brought him into the process of deciding which coffees we were going to buy, where we got a, a handful of samples from Peru and a handful of samples from Papua New Guinea, and we each chose one that we loved, and then we bought both of those coffees. So that was a cool experience as like a trainer and leader in my building and my team to be able to bring him in to be a part of that process. Because I I, I will say he's actually got a really, really good palate. And every time we cup, we're, we're really calibrated. And he always has great feedback and notes. And so again, to bring someone who's like, new into roasting into that process, I can only I can only learn from it and he can only learn from it. So those are two uh, new coffees that I'm excited to have.
0: You just said something super interesting to me was that you're calibrated, like you're tasting together. Like that's a whole nother level of roasting. I never really thought about like a lot of roasters are (laughs) roast on their own or they have people that assist them, but like they're the final one and you're actually taking both of your flavors and comparing them and finding coffees that work. It's just like another level of, of, uh, Not difficulty, just like nuance.
1: Yeah. And I mean, my hopes is that by doing that, like it also gives him more ownership in what we're doing. And it's not just like, this is what I said, and this is my profile, and you better (laughs) roast it perfect. It's like, oh, no, like, I tasted this coffee, and it tastes great. And like, I'm now can't wait for it to come in, because I had a hand and a say in like, making that decision. And we're gonna like, you know, roast the coffee the best we can. <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> roasting co- roasting
0: coffee the best you can is a great way to end today. Thank you for uh coming back to the show and I'm excited to figure out what it is we're going to talk about next time.
1: Thank you so much. This was a really fun conversation.
0: <laughs> to recap from today, the checklist to follow when tasting coffee really tasting, like for a cupping or if you're getting into roasting, goes as follows. First, smell the dry beans, trying to pick out any unique aromas. Second, pour hot water over the coffee grinds. A little bit of crust will form. Third, break that crust using a spoon to push back the grinds. There are specific spoons for this, but any soup spoon will do. Fourth, smell the wet aroma. Get your nose way down, just hovering over the coffee, and breathe it in deep. Fifth, slurp the coffee to spread it across your entire palate, across your entire tongue. This will let in some air and spread out the flavors across all of your taste buds. Siri also suggested tasting as the coffee cools to avoid burning your tongue and to better identify subtle, nuanced flavors or off flavors that you may not be able to process when the coffee is too hot. And while you're tasting, you're looking for more than just one thing. There's the initial flavor and then any aftertastes. Then you'll be considering the acidity, body, sweetness, and bitterness of the coffee. These are qualities that you can focus on, one at a time, to help you identify what flavors you might find. The first time I did a coffee cupping, the most common flavor I thought I could taste was dirt. No joke. Every coffee tasted the same. But I had a good teacher who pushed me to go further. Would I describe the dirt taste as earthy, like soil, or bitter, like really, really dark chocolate? could I taste any sweetness at all? If so, was it sweet like brown sugar or sweet like a berry? With practice and the realization that I could break down my tasting into categories, I got better. Of course, it helps to have a coffee flavor wheel handy, and I'm looking forward to getting an aroma chart to refer to the next time I taste as well. I'll link to some examples of both flavor and aroma charts that you can reference on roastwestcoast.com. If you've already subscribed to the newsletter, It'll show up in your email inbox later today. If not, what are you waiting for? You'll get every episode of this coffee podcast, along with more coffee content, sent to you every week. In the newsletter, I'll also include some information on tasting colors. Some claim that ability is a form of synesthesia. I think I pronounced that right. Which is a, quote, perceptual phenomenon in which stimulation of one sensory or cognitive pathway leads to an involuntary experience in a second sensory or cognitive pathway. Basically, one sensory experience is filtered through another one. There are also researchers who study how color impacts our perception of flavor and how we can create associations between color and taste. For example, if you were given the same coffee that had been tinted in three different colors using a tasteless food coloring, would you still perceive the coffees to taste the same? Or would they taste differently to you? Thanks again to Siri for spending some time with us. That's time that she's not spending at the roastery, or time she's not spending paying attention to her dog Pablo. If Pablo is anything like the foster dog staying with me, he's supervising this entire podcast operation on her side of things. That foster program I mentioned during the show is PactForAnimals.org. Pact spelled P-A-C-T. I'll link to it in the newsletter. It's a great program in which temporary fosters take on pets when their owners are deployed by the military, or have a temporary need for a hospital stay. It feels like we're providing a service to a pet owner who can't wait to be reunited with their companion, while at the same time, I get to hang out with this cool dog who loves to nap in the sun while I drink my morning cup of coffee. If you are interested in being a foster, check out packedforanimals.org. And while you're online, check out this show's industry partners, including... Ignite Coffee Roasters, Café La Terre, Coffee Company, Coffee Cycle Roasting, Leap Coffee, Zumbar Coffee and Tea, Morea Coffee, Steady State Coffee Roasting, Camp Coffee Company, First Light Whiskey, and Cape Horn Coffee Importers. If you want to find links to those top-notch companies, head to roastwestcoast.com. And if you have questions about coffee, send them to me on Instagram, at roastwestcoast, and they might just end up on a future Coffee Smarter episode. Or you can come ask me those questions at Zumbar Coffee and Tea in Cardiff, California. I'll be there Friday, March 11th, from 9 to 11 a.m. I'm not a coffee expert, and I'm generally the person asking the questions, but I'll do my best. And, worst case, we can share a moment over a good cup of coffee. Thank you for listening, everyone. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me Ryan Wolt. I hope the show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. And please, always tip your baristas, now more than ever, and be sure to drink good coffee. Hey there, if you liked this Coffee Smarter episode, and you want more and more and more coffee content, please consider buying us a cup of coffee or signing up for a paid subscription to the Roast West Coast newsletter. That would be awesome, and with enough subscribers, we'll be able to focus on creating coffee content for you all day, every day. Subscriptions are a great way to show appreciation for this show. Just head to roastwestcoast.com to subscribe or leave a tip. Thank you so much.